Coming up this week, off-screen, Ian McKellen takes on the last case of The Great Detective in Mr. Holmes. Jessica Biel gets literally nailed in Accidental Love. The boys are back in Entourage, or Entourage the movie, depending on where you're watching it. And Nicholas Sparks gets another adaptation in The Longest Ride. All of that to come, and more off-screen. This is... This is Offscreen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to On Screen. I'm Van Connor. And I am Case Allen. So what have we got? To, well, we know what we've got. So what should mm. we start with? Should we start with uh, Mr. Holmes this I week? I believe let's start with Mr. Holmes. Yeah, Ian McKellen. Ian, sir. Sir, sir Ian we got to include the sir. Sir Ian. Got to get the sir in. So uh, Mr. Holmes, which is the latest from uh, Bill Condon, stars Ian McKellen as the, uh, what is he, 93-year-old? He's 93. 93-year-old Sherlock Holmes, who is now retired to uh, Sussex. He's at sort of isolated farmhouse in Sussex, uh, where he has uh, dedicated his remaining years to tending to his bees and writing a memoir of, well, a memoir to set the record straight on his final case, which in this time frame, which is taking place just sort of uh, post-war, post-World War II, um, his uh, his final case has become a movie based on the works of uh, Dr. Watson. But it's Watson's fictionalised take, and Sherlock wants to set the record straight. So what we get throughout the course of the film is a series of flashbacks that shows what really happened, as well as a sort of in-between period in which Sherlock travels to Japan uh, to investigate uh, Prickly Ash. Uh, with the Hiroyuki Sonada making an appearance as well. I know, it's great, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> so uh, all, uh, Ian McKellen in all three time periods, basically it's Sherlock in, I think, his, uh, his 60s, his late 70s and his and 90s. 90s yeah. uh, we have a clip. This is uh, Sherlock in the oldest period, in the Sussex uh, farmhouse period, uh, talking to his housekeeper's young son, played by Milo Parker. Why did you do it? Sir? Break into my study. My study is my sanctum sanctorum. Private place. Before you went to Japan, I saw you writing that story. I didn't know you wrote stories. Oh, Dr. Watson, yes, he was the writer. Well, so I borrowed Mum's key and went into your study, and there I was. And how much did you read? Just where you stopped. It was a good part, too. A man comes to Baker Street, you say you've come about your wife. How could you tell? Did you do the thing? What thing will that be? The cane shows the marks of a dog's teeth. <laughs> The wood is from an island southwest of Madeira. That thing. And how would you tell that a man's visit was about his wife? He wears a wedding ring. When you're a detective and a man comes to visit you, it's usually about his wife. So as Ian McKellen says there, if a man comes to see you, it's usually about his wife. <laughs> so um, first of all, I was I was quite a big fan of this. Uh, I must say, I, mean, I yeah. didn't, uh, I didn't. Cause the, the advertising for it doesn't make the plot explicitly clear. It, it's just, it's an old Sherlock Holmes. You don't really get much more than that from the marketing. Um, so, I mean, the, the interesting thing about it is, of this century, we arguably have three massive trends or fads or crazes. We've got the vampire craze slash young adult uh, literary adaptation thing. Yeah, superheroes, is that going to be? Superheroes oh, yeah. is the other one. But then the Sherlock. 
Hmm. And Sherlock seems to have come out of nowhere in about the last <clears throat> five years. And it seemed to kick off with Robert Downey Jr. and Benedict Cumberbatch. And, and it spiraled into things like uh, Elementary with Johnny Lee Miller. Of course, and, yeah. But each one seems to be aimed at a different age bracket. And this seems to be the one that's aimed at the, at the, the full-on adults, the grown-ups, the people who want a solid drama. Hmm. And uh, on that, I mean, it's worth noting that it, although it does succeed on that level, it also it's actually got quite a big cross-appeal. Um, in the actual Sherlock sort of fanatics are going to watch this and go, wow, actually, this is a really good idea. <laughs> Have you ever seen, you know, comic books, they, they occasionally do ones called The End. So you get like Fantastic Four, The End. The End, yeah, and, of course, yeah, sure. And it's, it's the demise of those characters. It's their final mission. Kind so of is that what this, this feels like? Then? You could call it Sherlock yeah. Holmes, The End. The End. <laughs> not, not a very positive title, though. No, is it? I don't think... People would want that. <laughs> exactly. I'm not trying to insinuate like you know this is how he dies or anything. It's not. It's not. Mm. It's not that movie. This is not the movie of the death of Sherlock Holmes. It's not that kind of thing. It's for the sequel. It, I mean, that's yeah. for the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, this is very much a uh, you know this is in his twilight years. Mm. It's that sort of a drama. It's the retirement years of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. Golden the, years. Sherlock Holmes. The the almost end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can call it. Um. On. I mean, Ian McKellen casting Ian McKellen as an older Sherlock Holmes. It's a good idea. Isn't yeah, it? definitely. Really damn well, we were talking. Was it last week? We were talking about him and his relationship with Bill Condon. Yeah, because it goes yeah. back to like gods and monsters as well. Mm. But uh, no, he's um, on paper alone. His casting is just theoretically hard to beat. You can't top yeah. it. It's the sort of role that you'd put down on a desk and you would give it to a bunch of casting directors and you know that they would only come up with one or two names before they got to Ian McKellen. Probably Patrick Stewart. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like... Oh, a, no, do we to... get Brian Cox, Derek Jacobi... Uh... Oh, Michael Gambon. I'd... Michael Gambon. Oh, he'd be a good one. Yeah, you get to I'd those good things. I mean, like, not... a, like, a bit like, like an old curmudgingly... Until recently, Christopher yeah. Lee, that would have been a good choice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been an excellent choice, given how... He was actually was. 93 as well. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think he would have been able to do the younger years quite so well. No. But... Uh, anyway, so um, say so Ian McKellen's performance is fantastic here. I mean, he's always been you know one of our best. Anyway, here he reminds you why his Sherlock has the weight of the world on his shoulders. He suffers with the sort of the the burden of oh, I see everything. I can't ignore the little yeah. details, the things that people can just walk by and overlook. That I I process that and I have to deal with it. And, it, and it's something that no one should have to deal with. And yeah, you, you kind of feel for him in that way, but there is also the curmudgeon side of him, the curmudgeonly <laughs> aspect of him. And it does work quite well. You've got Laura Linney as well as the uh, the housekeeper. Yeah. Uh, She's great. Great accent. Yeah. Good accent work in this <laughs> as well. She's playing very much the dowdy, middle-aged, sort of downtrodden housekeeper. But uh, the real props go to Milo Parker as mm. uh, the young son, who's really good. His dynamic with the older Sherlock. Works really well. It is. There is this sort of... Uh, not father son, and I don't want to say mentor pupil aspect. Want to say granddad son, maybe. Maybe grandparent. Maybe great great uncle. Kind of like that, yeah. but there is this sort of aspect of Sherlock getting to revisit his more mischievous uh, aspects of himself aspects, yeah. through physical youth, uh, in the form of Milo Parker's character, um, Bill Condon's direction. I mean, what can you say? He's, he's, he's always been a great director. Really. Steady pair of hands, always. He is. Yeah. He? He's not one. He's not one of the great directors, but he is a he's great very, director. He's very workmanlike. That's it. He's yeah. a great director, but he's not one of the greats. Is mm. the best way to describe Bill Condon. Um, it's a very considered, uh, almost theatrical uh, sense of direction. Very well balanced. Um, John Mosby, who saw the film with me, uh, noted that you you could feasibly have performed this entire film on a stage. It would have worked as a mm. play just as well as it works as a film. And I'm inclined to agree with him 
to, to be honest. Um, there is a sort, there's a more fluidic, uh, sort of constantly moving aesthetic to, to the direction of it, uh, which, to be fair, fits with the mysterious, dramatic elements of mm. it. Um, he's got a very good score by Carter Bur- uh, Burwell, I want to say. Oh, Carter I love Burwell. Carter Burwell, yeah. Did he not do some of the Twilight movies? I'm, I'm, I'm not mistaken. He did, but let's talk about his work with the Coen brothers instead. <laughs> let's do yeah. that instead, yeah. Yeah, um, did the score for uh, Seven Psychopaths as well. Yes, he's worked he with did. Uh, him quite a lot. As I say, I mean, it's um, it, it's an, it's factually it is an Oscar caliber film. It's very very well written. Uh, it's very well directed. It's got a terrific performance from Ian McKellen. Um, I say it's an Oscar caliber film with actual recognizable branding. So it's quite rare in that. I mean, mm. you know, a branded Oscar caliber product happens very rarely, doesn't it? Well, that's it. I mean, I found it to be moving. It's engaging, and it's actually pretty funny as well. There is a, quite a comedic aspect to it. Oh, I should before we finish, I should mention the supporting cast, which includes Roger Allen. And you always have to point out when Roger Allen is in one of these films because Roger Allen is always a joy to see. And when he showed up, I thought, please, please let him be playing Watson. Roger Allen not... is an amazing singer as is well. Is he? Oh. Um, he, was, he wasn't the original uh, Javert in Le Mis, but yeah. I think it was maybe like the 10th anniversary he played Javert, and his Javert is amazing. Oh, <laughs> really I will, good, I will have so to, check I'll it out. Check yeah. that one out. It can't be uh, any, any worse than uh, Russell Crowe, can it? <laughs> Let's let's step over Let, that. Let's step over yeah. <laughs> Right, so what we got next? Some film news? Should we do some film news? Let's now? do film news, yeah. Right. Okay, so this one this one broke yeah. yesterday. Um, <clears throat> this has been coming for a, a long time. This has been years. Uh, Vin Diesel's reboot of Kojak. Yeah. This has been a long, long time it's coming. Got a new it? writer, hasn't it? This has got a new writer who, who weirdly is, is a British playwright named Philip Gawthorne, whose uh, more, more notable on-screen works include... EastEnders of all things, and he no. <laughs> what? And he's going to be writing a big screen. That's a step up, isn't it? <laughs> Where do you go for EastEnders? I know I'll do and reboot Kojak with Vin Diesel. I think that's it's always uh, been one of the weirdest can it actually happen casting choices I've ever heard of ever, ever since it got announced and obviously Vin Diesel he's always on Facebook talking about potential well, always uh, Vin Diesel like Schwarzenegger now is very active in you know what social networking and action stars that's a, that's a pairing that's, that that's what happens yeah <laughs> but yes that's, that's going forward it's got a new home at Universal as well okay. uh, Vin Diesel has a sort of uh, occasional dalliance with Universal isn't it because the, mm. the Fast and Furious movie is Universal yeah, Universal yeah um, I think what was, what was Riddick Chronicles, was of Rid- Chronicles of Riddick was Universal as was, as was Pitch Black. I was, Pitch Black was as well. well after, the one after, just Riddick. Just Riddick. That's, is that relativity? I still think that should have been the actual title. What, Riddick? No, just, just, Riddick. just Riddick. Just Riddick. Just Riddick. I, I'm telling you, Riddick and his dog would have been the title. For <laughs> <me>. <laughs> right, the Bourne news. Have you heard the Bourne news? I have, yeah. Did this only broke this Well, there's, there's quite a few different bits, really, isn't there? Well, there were. Okay, start, because there was this one um, where this it's got, is... It's got a release date. Now. It's got a release. What's the release date? Because I've not got this. Uh, July something or other, 2016. 2016. Okay. So, so shooting's going to be happening pretty quick. soon. But also, this is not going to be the Bourne legacy sequel. This is the first timeline. This is the, the Matt Damon, the Matt Damon. Yeah. right. So we have now as well that Julia Stiles is returning for it. Yes. Having had her role bumped up in Born Ultimatum, I yeah. think it was. Yeah. And uh, and now uh, uh, Vin- uh, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, the bad guy, apparently. Big bad. Sort of heard. Yeah, he yeah. is, isn't it? Viggo Mortensen's going to be the villain. Actually, I could see that because we already had Carl Urban, haven't we? Carl mm. Urban was one, and I can't remember who the others were. When Brian Cox was obviously the big villain of the series. Mm. Who is the villain of the third one? 
It's been a long time. Right, so, okay, Vin Diesel... Not Vin Diesel, Bruce Willis. I get confused. You've got Kojak on the brain. You've just got bald guys on the brain. I've got bald action stars on the brain, that's right. Bruce Willis's noir detective comedy is coming up. Have you heard about this one? I have not heard about this one. This is going to be, apparently, like a noir detective satire slash parody. No one can seem to make up their mind on which one it is, parody or satire. Okay. And uh, it's now going to be adding to its cast. These are all in talks now. Famke Janssen... Thomas Middleditch from Silicon Valley, yeah. which I'm very happy I like about. Him. I like him. I want to see him in more things. Wolf of Wall Street for like a split second. Yeah, he yeah. gets his goldfish eaten, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he's that guy. <laughs> the guy whose goldfish is eaten by Jonah Hill. Um, and Jason Momoa, who's going Ooh. to be a leader of a, of a gang in it. So that one, yeah. That's got my attention, yeah. Momoa was getting around the crowd. He did the Stallone movie, mm. didn't he? He did Bullet to the Bullet Head. To the head. <laughs> he did the Stallone movie, oh. so now he's got to do Bruce Willis. He's only got Schwarzenegger left to go now, I think, as well. Bullet to the Head has one of my favourite recent like action one-liners. Go on, what's that? Um, he shoots Christian Slater in the head, yeah. and his partner says, You can't do that. And Stallone goes, I just did. <laughs> it's amazing. For me, it's got that great moment when you're expected to believe that Sarah Shahi could be uh, Stallone's daughter, but... Yeah, yeah let, let's you got to suspend credibility. Belief, I mean. Did you know that the uh, Sun Kang role was originally meant to be Thomas Jane? In that really? Film? That was meant to be Thomas Jane. Yeah. Wow. Go figure. Can't, right, can't um, Comic-Con this year. That's coming up in about a month. Yeah, nobody's um, going. Apparently. Nobody's going. Nobody's this going. Yeah. It's going to be Warner's. Warner <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty much Batman, Superman, and Suicide Squad. That's it. That's all you That's get it. in the film content. <clears throat> Uh, Paramount are skipping it Sony are skipping it yeah. Marvel are skipping it now the excuse being used is you know what the, the film cycle is just not not helpful to it we've not really got anything we can tie into it at the right time you're thinking yeah but in the case of Marvel their cycle doesn't change their cycle's yeah. been the same for years you have in, something around April, May time you have something later on in the year yeah so like, the one that's coming later going. on in the year you usually show stuff from so in this case Shouldn't Comic Con be showing stuff from Civil War? Or, yeah, because yeah. Civil War's mid filming, isn't it? Well, yeah. As far as I know. It's been filming for a couple of weeks now. They'll, they'll put it this way they could have a teaser if they wanted to. Oh, pretty, yeah. pretty easy. They could have a teaser out there. But they're not going to do it, and the uh, the actual reason that's being sort of filtered through the through the grapevine is that this is sort of you know representative of the bursting of the bubble, as it were. There's now a, a, a conscious a conscious distancing between the studios and mm. this very involved geek culture. It's become so competitive for over the years. Yeah. Do you remember when Comic Con used to be about comics? Oh, about comics. <laughs> Which worth though, Marvel TV is still going. So yeah. you know, the Agents of Shield panel and the Agent Carter panel still yeah. happening. Oh yeah. Well, I think I think another reason is obviously when Marvel announced Phase Three, that was their own sort of mini conference. I think that's it. They went for the so, Apple style keynote. I think they'll just do keynote style speeches. I think so. Yeah. That was that was made funnier by uh, DC's one. I think was it a week later where they. Uh, it was a week before. Oh, it was a week before. It was a week prior, and week they, prior. they released everything they were going to do, and everyone was well, like, "Oh, it. DC finally stepping up the game." And then Marvel were like, the, the, "Oh, the, the, hi the, guys." Uh, it was a room full of like investment bankers, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just a man in a suit. And a Proper room full film of fans. Yeah. Yes. Here is our PowerPoint presentation in 2018 Q1. We will be releasing in 2018 Q2. Uh, Q3 will be released. Marvel, you know, came out and did the keynote. Oh, and one more thing. Yeah, <laughs> and they literally did a one more thing. And then Chris they, Evans and yeah, literally yeah. one more thing. They yeah. literally did oh one more thing. <laughs> Civil War. Was Kevin Feige wearing like a turtleneck as well? <laughs> you know, I wish that he was. He should have done it. He, he should have done, done it in costume. It would have been great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ball cap and a lot more bits than passengers. 
Do you know this movie? Uh, I, I know that it's costing a ridiculous amount of money for what it is. Right, this is a story. This is a sci-fi story. It's been in on, on the back burner for a while. They've been trying to get off the ground. Is it? Mm. I think it's a hundred. It's either ninety million or one hundred and ninety million. This is going to cost to make. It's going to start Chris more towards one hundred and ninety. This is going to start Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence as astronauts, basically, on a colonisation mission. They're on the trip to colonise another planet. They're in hypersleep for what will be hundreds of years. Chris Pratt's character accidentally wakes up after a malfunction and has to basically make the choice between dying alone or waking up, you know, presumably the Jennifer Lawrence character, in order to give him companionship, knowing that she will, of course, die alone with him. But it's a case of, you know, do, do, do we die alone together or do I just die just alone? Just die alone, yeah. yeah. Now, this has been on the back burner. It was a long time. Is it going to happen? Is it not? And then Jurassic World hit. And I think we can say Jurassic World made a few quid. Um, yeah, a few. A little, little bit. I think yeah. Universal have got a couple of bob spare at the moment. Well, it's now been disclosed how much money Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence are going to be making. Do you know this? I was looking into this. I know this. Well, originally Chris Pratt was in line to make... 10 million mm-hmm. and now that's been up to 12 and she's getting points off the back end isn't she she's getting 20 yep that's it and I think Morton Tildum is getting I don't know fiver well that's it because this is being it's all he deserves exactly <laughs> this is being directed by the director of the imitation game so, yeah. Wow, there's some pedigree in this but the, the interesting experiment is is their star power enough to carry this film that that's the interesting one. That's it. I, th- is... I think a lot of people, well, a lot of casting directors, a lot of studios have wanted to get them together. Definitely. I mean, nothing so. Arguably, the highest profile young actress and arguably the highest profile male actor together in a film. Absolutely. Mm. So right. Okay. So um, because Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve uh, were such riveting romantic comedy anthology movies, uh, what's now? Uh, we've what's got another now? one coming. We've got a Christmas themed one coming out next year. I don't know if you know about this. It's going to be an anthology of stories. It's going to be co-written by several young adult authors and John Green of The Fault in Our Stars and Paper Town. He doesn't need to work, does he? He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't need he doesn't to work. work. This is going to be called Let It Snow, and this is going to be released on December 6, 2016. So, you know what? If you're a high-end, uh, I would say a higher-paid young TV actor or a lower-paid movie actor, you've probably got a spot in this one. Just yeah. This is for the Ashton Kutchers of the world, really. That, that's what I would say. For Do you remember seeing the poster for New Year's Day? It was one of those posters. New, New Year's Eve, that's one. Yeah. I apologise. Frank Marshall fans. <laughs> Not Frank, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, so it had like, it was like a composite of loads of different people's yeah, faces. That was the one. Uh, like from the film. And then Aston Kutcher's, it wasn't a picture of him from the film, it was for him, from him from just like like a red carpet shot. And it oh, looked so weird. It wasn't out just of like place. a production still from Two and a Half Men. It might as well have been. <laughs> right, I like this one. Uh, Kenneth Branagh is being uh, quoted to direct yeah. the latest adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express. How awesome is that? Perfect. That, that could be great. Kenneth yeah. Branagh, Hercule Poirot. I'm completely <clears throat> Am I right in thinking the uh, David Suchet uh, series only recently did Murder on the Orient It was only recently, I believe, yeah. Because it's quite late in the continuity, isn't it? I'd love to see David Suchet work with Kenneth Branagh. That'd be brilliant. Right, uh, Dark Places, are you aware of this film? This is the latest adaptation of a Gillian Flynn work. Gillian Flynn, of course, is brought that us... Charlie's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gillian Flynn brought us Gone Girl. And uh, this is the, the not the, the actual follow up, but sort of the con- the the source material follow up to it. And this has been released on video on demand now. Mm. This is out now, seven weeks before seven weeks before its actual theatrical release. Yeah. So if you want to pay and watch it at home, you can. Now you I actually it. like this idea. 
I think this this could be a good thing. Maybe not for you know the likes of the Avengers and Jurassic World, mm. but you know your thrillers and your dramas and things like that. Great idea. Why not? Mm. It's going out through direct TV in the states. So I think a lot of people those kind of films they don't necessarily need to be seen on the big screen, depending on what they are. I mean, not really. And also, we live in a day and age now where most of us have forty, fifty inch you know, that's it, yeah, slabs on our wall and home cinema systems. Yeah, bigger screens are in some of the cinemas, so. I've been I've been to an Odeon recently. Yeah. I knew that's what you were going to say. <laughs> been to the Odeon in Sheffield. The Odeon in Sheffield is ridiculously tiny. I had a good time though when I when I watched Spy there last week. I really enjoyed it. Right, Forrest Whitaker is in talks. <laughs> oh yeah. Sir Join. All the franchises. All the franchises. So he's in talks to join the Crow, <clears throat> which there's more news about that one later. <laughs> uh, he's also in talks to join Star Wars Rogue One. Yeah. How awesome is that? Uh, that's cool. But... I'm completely on board with it. That, that is, I quite like that idea. But who uh, would he? The only person for the crow I could think he would play was that was that police officer. Would guy. be the cop. Be the the cop, Ernie yeah. Hudson role in the first. Yeah, yeah, first of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Halloween Returns. We've got this as well. This is the oh, latest yeah. uh, reboot for the Halloween franchise, which is going to be coming out without the involvement of Rob Zombie, because apparently they listened to us. They listened to all the fans who said, "Do you know what? We're perfectly fine with it, but please never let Rob Zombie make another Halloween movie again." I'll take the first one. Fine. Mm. H two is awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, just calling it H two was awful in itself. <laughs> but uh, Rob Zombie. But yeah, have you heard about? I, I have heard. Is I have that, heard about is that coming up? That's coming up That's as coming well. Coming up. Just just a tease. Uh, we've got okay, a couple of final pieces. Woody Harrelson is going to be playing the 36th president of the United States, Lyndon yeah. B. Johnson. With Rob Reiner. With Rob Reiner Who's directing. probably one of my favourite directors of all time. It's going to be awesome, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So this is going to be uh, this is going to be Rob Reiner's LBJ. I can't, mm. I can't wait, that sounds That's awesome. cool, yeah. Uh, let's see, we've also got one final piece. J- Jason uh, Manzoukas. A yeah, low-profile comedic actor. He's one of those that you'd know from. He's in. He's in the league. And yeah. Modern of, Family turned up. In. He turns up. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's in, in uh, Parks and Rec a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they came together. He was in. That oh, as he's well. really funny. Man, the one who got kicked out the window in, in they <laughs> yeah. came together. Well, he, he's in negotiations to join uh, the upcoming suburban casino mm. comedy, The House, with uh, Amy Poehler and Will, Will Ferrell. Ferrell. Yeah, which, if you're not familiar with it, is the story of a married couple who accidentally lose their daughter's college fund. And to replace it, open an illegal casino in their basement. Great. What, what can you say? It's That's got a Will good Ferrell, It's got Amy Poehler. This is going to be great. I think those it? guys will really, really work together. Absolutely. Yeah, I could. I could live with that. Yeah. This could be pretty funny. <laughs> So, on to the next review we've got in our docket this week, Case. Shall we go with some accidental love? If we've absolutely got to. Right, I want to point out there is no clip for this because they have not made such so any clips available. <laughs> and this is going to, the reasoning as to why is going to very quickly become apparent. Mm. So, right, shall we just do the plot first and foremost? This is the story of Alice, played by Jessica Beale, who is a roller skating waitress in small town USA. Indiana, somewhere. Indiana, yeah. you know, usual. Don't matter. <laughs> Could be Iowa, Idaho. <laughs> really non-specific. Let's just call it John Watersville. John Watersville. John yeah, Watersville. I like that. Call it John Watersville. So she's a roller skating waitress in John Watersville who, whilst on a dinner date with her cop fiancé, played by James Marsden, accidentally gets shot in the head with a nail gun. 
the, the movie was originally called Nailed for this reason. Much better title. It was a better title. Now, um, the, the, the nail is, uh, is left in her head when it's discovered that she doesn't have insurance, uh, health insurance. And as a result, the hospital will not uh, conduct the costly procedure to remove it. The nail staying in her head causes psychological instability, which results in periods of heightened sexuality... Anger, depression. Am I am I on the right? Yeah. Track? Basically, intense mood swings, but it's sort of fixed mood swings. So she gets whacked on the head, and she's effectively hypersexual until the next time she gets whacked on the head, and then she's angry, and and so on and so forth. But because she's been denied the procedure to remove it, she immediately takes to Washington D.C. Uh, to fight for the cause of of, of a reformed healthcare bill that will. <clears throat> cover the costs of procedures for what are determined to be bizarre injuries. Literally, that's the term used, bizarre Bizarre injuries. injuries. And she enlists the help of a young congressman, a young sort of vacuumed uh, moralist, I want to say. Yeah. Morally challenged congressman. (laughs) Morally challenged. Played by Jake Gyllenhaal with the widest eyes this side of Nightcrawler. (laughs) who agrees to sponsor her bill only if he can tack it onto the uh, underside of another bill that supports the funding of a base on the, a military base on the moon. This is the point where I would say here's a clip, but there isn't a clip because the distributors have not made one available. And the reason the distributors haven't made one available is because I think they're kind of hoping that no one notices this film exists. Yeah. Do you even want to hear a clip? No, no. nobody would want to hear a clip no after that description. So, 30 second history on this one, shall we? David yes, O. Russell started making this. David O. Russell, of The Fighter, of Silver Linings Playbook, of Three Kings... Of, of American Hustle. Of American Hustle, of I Heart Huckabees... Great sh- film. Yeah, who started making this film in 2008, mm. straight after I Heart Huckabees. Due to financial instability, he was forced to stop and start production. Is it four or six times? Because I hear different versions. I heard he was even more than six. Well, eventually he just gave up. 2010, he chucked chucked in the towel and he demanded they take his name off of it. He wanted the film dead, buried, no more. He washed his hands of it. The actors were sent packing. That was it. Mm. It it has now been stitched together. The the missing footage shot by anonymous people. This is is the (laughs) thing. Anonymous people. And the directorial credit is given to Stephen Green, who is in fact David O. Russell. Pseudonym. But, but because you're not allowed to put Alan Smithy on a film in 2015, they had to put Stephen Green. He doesn't want the film to exist. The actors don't want the films to, film to exist. And it quickly becomes evident why this is a mess of a film. And you, you hear stories all the time about films with trouble productions. This is most definitely the one, isn't it? This is absolute chaos incarnate. It's dishevelled. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Every performance by every actor in it seems to be aimed at a different film entirely. Uh, I don't know quite what Tracy Morgan's performance is for, what film he thinks he's making, what yeah. film James Marsden thinks he's making. James Marsden's <laughs> really out there. Yeah. And then you've got Jake Gyllenhaal. And and the weird thing is, I, the closest thing I can find to a unifying idea behind the film is they all thought they were making a, a John Waters-type film. Hmm. Because there is somewhere underneath it the bare bones of a satire on the American healthcare system. However, it is really the bare bones. And those bare bones have been picked clean by, I think, all the financial raiding going on. There's very little in the way of coherent sense to the film. Hmm. It isn't funny. It's got... 
cameos by actors who really should know better. The likes of... Why was Bill Hader there? Bill Hader. Bill Hader was there for... Kirstie Alley. Oh, yeah. Kirstie Alley as a a at-home brain surgeon. Yeah, slash cow surgeon. She's a vet who agrees to operate on her in the comfort of her own living room. Yeah. I remember camera, it like shoots from this really bizarre angle. And I just... Uh, it I'm, was incomprehensible to me. It was. It, it, it's an ordeal as well, isn't it? It clocks in just under two hours. It, it's, it's well, I managed an hour. It's it's bad. I, I very very rarely don't finish a film. So well done, accidental love. It's not the worst film I've seen this week. Um, <laughs> I, the, the the worst film I've seen this week is not for review. It is the FIFA movie United Passions, which I really oh. hope gets a theatrical release so we can review it sometime oh, soon. Oh god, I watched the trailer for it yesterday. <laughs> it's a masterpiece of awful. Um, it is. It is worse than uh, than Accidental Love, but Accidental Love is genuinely the worst <clears throat> film out this week. Yeah. So right, competitions then. Before we cut to the break, uh, if you go to onscreenfilm.com, every week we have competitions uh, going on on our site. This week we're giving away uh, Minion goggles for the release of Minions, uh, which is next Friday. Uh, we're actually giving away Minion goggles. You, know, you see them in Toys R Us. The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the kind you got of. Those. Like glasses, yeah, yeah with little, course, little yeah. light holes, and you can look like a I imagine there's like Jurassic Park goggles. <laughs> I really I love Jurassic those, <laughs> also, Universal have strangely Universal have a thing with goggles, <clears throat> but yeah, if you want to win a pair of minion goggles, pop along to onscreenfilm.com. Uh, you can go in the competition section, it's on the front page, or you can actually go into the competition section, enter on there, minion goggles giveaway with the latest film news and reviews. This is off screen. Welcome back to Off Screen. So next up on the docket, I think we're going to review... Uh, oh, there's that film out, isn't there? With the boys. With the boys. The boys. Entourage. You now, love that, don't you? I, I, I'm a big fan of that. It's, it's my favourite thing since Pacific Rim was out and we got to use the boom every time. <laughs> cool. But uh, Entourage is, is upon us. Um, right, how best to describe Entourage? Because this is really aimed at the fans. This is mm. not aimed at anyone else. Uh, right, how to describe Entourage? Uh, this is the fictionalised... It's a character based on Mark Wahlberg, on his early life, early career exploits. Not his early life exploits, because you couldn't make a show out of that. Uh, this is the story of Vincent Chase, a successful Hollywood star, and his three friends, uh, his manager E, his driver Turtle, and his failed actor brother Johnny Drama, and their exploits in Hollywood. Um, at this point in their lives, um, having suffered a failed marriage that bridges the sort of TV show and the movie. Um, Vince has returned to Hollywood to take on his first big big comeback role, a movie called Hyde, which is a sort of sci-fi spin on Jacqueline Hyde, in which he's a DJ in what looks like Metallica through the never, if you can imagine such right, a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was in the trailer, wasn't it? It's in the trailer, yeah, it's actually in the trailer, trailer yeah. yeah. Um, and into this as well, you have the financiers of the film, played by Billy Bob Thornton and his on-screen son, Haley Joel Osment, who want to interfere with production and cause all sorts of production delays. You, each character then has their own story, so E has two women fighting over him whilst his ex-girlfriend is pregnant and about to deliver his baby. You have Turtle, who really wants to sleep with Ronda Rousey, the UFC fighter. You have Ari Gold, who just finds his job a bit stressful. He's just angry. You have Johnny Drama, who may or may not have angered the husband of a cam girl, if you know what that is, uh, in in the porn centre, cam girl, yeah. And then you... No, no, those are the story arcs. That, those are literally the story arcs. Are they, are they arcs? The, 
I, I, I think that's, I don't think that's an arc. Let's, let's play a clip, and, yeah. and then we'll get to what constitutes an arc in this film. Now, interesting thing. Anyone who hears this clip now, um, this clip is 50 seconds long, and I want you to count the number of product placement drops, verbal product placement drops, in this 50-second clip. Vinny, what's up? Yeah, what's up, Mark? I'm doing some looping for Ted 3. 3? How many of those are you going to do? I'll do 20 if I can. What's the matter? Your girlfriend lock you out of date anymore? No, my co-financier. Are you serious? Well, my boys will break down the door right now. He's crazy. Vinny. What's up, Ari? What kind of studio are you running around here? Mark, hey, calm down. Dude, I'm calm, but you better get excited. I mean, you don't want everybody around town thinking that this is how you treat your filmmakers. Right? What's going on? I, I, I am dealing with it. Yeah, but well, he said he's not going to release any more money. Can he do that? Ari, he's got issues. What, he doesn't like the movie? It doesn't matter. Tell him the truth. Don't be shy. He doesn't like drama. He wants to cut him out. Johnny? Yeah. I'm doing my reality show at Wahlburgers right now at a If they try to cut out my mother, I'd kill somebody. Even if she sucked as bad as drama, probably sucks. Hey, you guys know Reggie from Jordan, right? You guys yeah. want some shoes? No, no, we're good, Mark. There are three product placement drops in 50 seconds. That's kind of impressive in a terrible, all consumerist delivered. way. All delivered by Mark Wahlberg as well. <laughs> Would you believe that? He manages to drop Ted 2, Wahlburgers, and Air Jordans into 50 seconds of a cameo. I really want to go to Wahlburgers. I'd love to go next time in America. I'm oh, no, no. Wahlberg is his A&E reality series that he's doing, as he says in the clip. Isn't what, is about the, is it the restaurant. A, it's a restaurant, isn't it? Have, him, him and his brother do. I, I, don't, I want to go now if it is. Yeah, definitely. Right, right, so, We're digressing anyway. We are digressing. So, of course, the logical comparison point for this is Sex and the City, which was also an HBO series about a bunch of friends hanging out. And that became a movie that was fairly successful as well. That begat a sequel. That begat a sequel that yeah. most of us would rather die <laughs> than remember anytime soon. Uh, this has the opposite problem to Sex and the City, which is, quite frankly, it never took off in the UK. And so where's the audience for this? Um, it's only going to appeal to fans anyway. Even people who, who know of the brand will only see the movie if they've seen the series. It, and the problem with the film is it does not work unless you're a fan of the series. It doesn't work as a self-contained film because, frankly, it isn't a film. There is no film in this. There is no conflict... There is no drama. There is no suspense. The closest thing the movie has to an antagonist is Haley Joel Osment's character, who is played in the most cartoonish way imaginable. And and, and I've seen Tusk, so I, I'm <laughs> very aware of what Haley Joel Osment can do if he puts his. Uh, I've seen what he looks like now. He's not a very deranged mind, formidable looking dude, really. Not, is he? not just... really. He he reminds me an awful lot of who's the 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 classic Warner Brothers animated rooster. <laughs> it kind of physically reminds me of him. <laughs> you know who I mean I know. as well. Oh, what's his name? The Looney Tunes rooster. <laughs> oh, long... Uh, oh, Foghorn Leghorn. Foghorn Leghorn. That's Foghorn Leghorn. That's that's it. It. Kind uh, of reminds me of Foghorn Leghorn. Oh, I'm never going to be able to unsee that. Right, I mean, it is a clear-cut case of one for the fans. Um, the transition from HBO to the big screen manages to showcase the best and worst qualities more than ever before. Um, basically, the best quality of the series was always that it had this high-end, glossy, cinematic production style. And as a result, the transition to the big screen is relatively seamless. However, it's there, it's on the big screen, it's exposed for us all to see, and you realise mm. that actually there really never was that much to the series. And it got by on sheer likability. <clears throat> it got by on sheer charm. However, that was at the rate of 20 minutes a week. Mm. I think if you asked people to sit and watch two hours a week, they may turn off. And I was one of the people who said when the series was going, why is this not a 45-minute episode show? Why is this 20 minutes? It would work better mm. with it. 
I'm kind of glad it's one. It's a case of be careful what you wish for because it turns out a little bit of entourage goes a long way, <laughs> and yeah, this is best compared to not binge watching a series, but binge watching an event series. You know the thing that sort of it seems to be all the rage now. You get like Twenty Four Live Another Day and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Event series, okay. as they're called. Uh, we started doing it in the UK with things like Torchwood and stuff like mm. that. We started doing like five episode stories, little event series, yeah. little event series. That's what this feels like, and it's like, it's the okay. exact runtime as well. If you did that with Entourage, mm. and the problem is that because of that, all it doesn't help that all the story arcs and all the character arcs within the film are twenty minutes long. So it just feels like feel so, like five episodes. Then. Just a case in point. This isn't much of a spoiler because this is quite prominent in the trailer. There is a, there is a mention in the trailer of sex tape. So right, you think, yeah. oh, okay, so one of the storylines in the movie is going to be that there's a sex tape of one of the characters. Right, that's Johnny Drama. So you think, oh, okay, fair enough, not really the best character to have that happen to because he's one of the least interesting. I mean, I'd be less inter- be even less interested if it were Turtle, to be honest. Surely it would make more sense to have that be about the Vince character, about the, the lead exactly, guy. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Not, this is not that movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> right, that story arc with the sex tape, 20 minutes before the end of the movie. Why? And you, what, what? Really? 20 minutes? For, that doesn't make... Okay, fair so enough. So you would think they would put it towards the end of the film because it's meant to be a big... Oh, yeah. A, Literally, every yeah, character... A big, almost the climactic. movie comes in 20-minute waves. And I haven't seen a movie change traction this often since Thor The Dark World. Because <laughs> that was a movie that changed its plot every 20 minutes. Yeah. This is the same thing, but it's it's kind of understandable because you look at it and think, okay, this was quite clearly written with a, a TV series in mind. It's also... Terminally stuck in the past. Mm. The movie is set in 2011, right? Because it takes place eight months after, after the after the, the end, end yeah. of the TV series, which finishes in, in 2011. Now, it, this is it, it, if you can get past the idea that everyone's walking around with the iPhone six, driving a 20, <laughs> driving the 2015 Cadillac, etc. If you can get past that, yeah. this is still meant to be. You know, the problem is, and you'll know this as well as I do, you're sat wearing a Tomorrowland badge, so you will know this. Probably so, yeah. You will know this as well as I do. The film industry in 2015 is a very, very different place to the film industry from 2011. It is. We don't take chances anymore. <laughs> no, we don't. Tomorrowland case. <laughs> yeah. um, the problem is the film has this, not even 2011 sensibility, it has a 2005 sensibility. So from the very heyday of the TV series, it's stuck in 2005. A lot of the humour is very 2005. It's a lot of, oh, let's just let's just sit back and we'll make the same gay jokes we were making, you know, post-millennium, and mm. it'll still be perfect. It's really not. It barely flew by then, yeah, to be honest. So... It was always kind of great. For any character except Ari, it was always kind of grating even then. Yeah. Now, on a cinema screen, it feels like watching a carry-on movie, but without the irony. <laughs> Yeah. Would you feel that this movie would work better if it was more RE-centric? If he I, was more like the central focus? That's actually what I'm going to get to next. Okay. Um, because <laughs> the film, because it doesn't focus primarily on the Ari character and it focuses on the boys, now in fairness, they are the title characters, so that's understandable. The problem is the boys are kind of detached from the film industry side of it. And as a result, there is no satirical edge to it whatsoever. It's a very, very toothless film. It is. Mm. It has no nerve <clears throat> whatsoever. So rather than use the golden opportunity they have, which is, do you know what, here's our chance. We're going to take shots at Marvel. We're going to take shots at, sh- at shared universes, young adult franchises. We're going to do that. So much has changed just since 2011. It's, since so 2011, much, yeah. yeah. 
and it's quite obvious this was written then. Mm. Very, very obvious because you're thinking, where, where, are, where are the gags about you know another teenage vampire movie? Where's the gag about you know every teenage movie has to involve factions and segregating society and also there's yeah. a lot of comedic moments. Vince stars in a superhero movie in this, and yet there is no talk whatsoever about okay, you have to sign a nine picture deal, you're gonna have to appear in this other movie. Yeah, you, you can't like, work for this studio. Yeah, yeah. It's like you don't. They don't seem to want this to take place in any kind of a real world, and because it takes place in this ridiculous sort of fantasy version of Hollywood, and it is. This is the construct of someone who reads way too much Entertainment Weekly. That that's their version of Hollywood, basically. Mm. It seems to take place in this version where character development is something that happens between characters verbally when when they are walking bit walking or driving between plot points. And that's it. So at the restaurant, that's a plot point. At Ari's office, that's another plot point. And location, that's not a plot point. The character <laughs> development is them walking down Hollywood Boulevard yeah. in between those two points. You're like, really? This is this is what that's yeah. fine for twenty minutes a week on HBO. That's fine, but not twenty minutes in a row on a big screen. No, no, no. That, that and that is really the problem with <laughs> it. Uh, the, in terms of the cast, you can't fault them because they've had a decade to do this. Now they they know those characters inside now. Mm. The problem is not the cast. Although in the case of Haley Joel Osment, he is quite a big problem. Yeah, I can't see a resemblance between Bill Buffont and. and <laughs> I can't. So is, is he adopted? Is he, no, is he, he an is adopted actually, assassin. He is actually his son. Wow. Um, I say okay. Ari Gold, Jeremy Piven, still the best thing in the Entourage universe. Uh, well, if you're a fan of the series, Lloyd is very underused. I've never seen any of the other. Um, uh, cast members from Entourage, apart from Joe Piven, in anything else, I don't think. Very I can't, weird. Things. I can't think what I've seen. Jerry Kevin Ferrara, who plays Turtle, turns up in Eagle Eye. Um, Kevin oh, really? Conley, <laughs> Kevin Conley turns up in oh, what was it? It was a little seen Denzel Washington hostage taking movie called John Q. Oh, I have seen that. Yeah. Adrian Grenier was in Drive Me Crazy with Melissa Joan Hart. <laughs> and has apparently was that one of her straight to TV? No, that actually got a theatrical release. Really? And Kevin Dillon was in Poseidon, if you can believe such a thing. <laughs> did so, he did he get killed off as soon as a boat flipped over? No, he, he didn't. He went on, I think, for about half an hour and then died. Good innings. So, yeah, he yeah. lasted longer than the Black Eyed Peas did in Poseidon, put it that <laughs> way. And I know this because I watched on Now TV recently. <laughs> Why, Wolfgang Why? Peterson? Why? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, on an adaptation level, Entourage would have been better served by a, you know, a six to eight part event series, mm. I think, rather than this binge-watching experience, which is what you actually get. Uh, on a cinematic level, it's underwritten. It is a shallow display of post-millennial opulence. Uh, which has no place in 2015. It is so out of touch with the modern world, it's unreal. And uh, really, it's it's Jeremy Piven's film to own, as Entourage was, as it always always the case in the series. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see the boys back. As a fan, as a fan of the series, it is nice to see the boys back. I can't deny that. I'm very happy to see them back. You could have done with just one episode, though, maybe, but, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I, I feel like... If you weren't going to do a series, do an event series. Maybe not even an event series. Maybe we could have just done an extended episode. Yeah. Made, okay. a, made a big deal about it. One hour episode could have been fine. And that's the problem. There is nothing here that you're not going to get. I mean, the Piers Morgan uh, expositional cameo. Awful, yeah, who awful. who is the best cameo and who is the worst cameo? All the well? cameos are all the cameos are dreadful. Um, the <laughs> combined most, worst. They, they're so out of place. They're so jarring outside yeah. of the TV universe. Um 
I don't know. I mean, the Army Hammer one is pretty mystifying. I've seen a picture. Has he got a big old beard? Yeah, yeah, because you can't help but wonder exactly how they got Army Hammer to do it. The other one that mystifies me is David Spade, because I want to know who that was meant to appeal to. <laughs> Whose version of a celebrity cameo is David Spade? Uh, fans of the upcoming classic Joe Dirt 2. Actually, funnily enough, David Spade does uh, <clears throat> does lead me to my final thought on Entourage, which is okay. of all the t- uh, probably the o- only TV series that uh, would make less sense, but actually would be more effective as a big screen outing than Entourage would probably be Rules of Engagement. That, that's what I say. I would. Yeah. I probably. Th- I actually think Rules of Engagement would make a better movie than Entourage did. And that, as a fan, that pains me to say. I think it'd be weirdly more appealing. I think you'd get a lot more people to go see it. <laughs> so what have we got next? Oh, we've got the box office top ten next. Box office top ten, let's do it. Number ten. Moving down, number ten, Tomorrowland, A World Beyond. You were a fan of this? Uh, as my badge. As your badge proudly uh, proclaims. Yeah, proudly proclaims. Um, yes, I was I was a fan. Yeah, good. Yeah. Number nine. Moving down again, number nine. Um... Those guys and gals from Avengers Age of Ultron, we've got nothing else to say about it. I, I don't know what to say about its mid-season two-parter. It's not a finale, and the last one was a finale. These need to be finales. They're bookending It's, it's a bookend, yeah. It's it's a book, it should be a bookend. It's not. It's the, it's it's the like interim a, volume. Yeah, it's like moving a chess piece. Number eight. Straight in number eight. Um, we have uh, Tom Hardy and... Is it Olivia Colman? It's Olivia Colman. No, I've not London seen this. Road. I don't think you have either. I've not. I would like to say. I was reading a really good review, but I can't remember what it was. But yeah, I've, I've heard some okay things about it. Number seven. Moving up. This is impressive. Go uh, on. The Empire Strikes Back. This is the secret cinema thing, The Empire yeah. Strikes Back. No, we will get there. We will get there eventually. We will see this. I think what, what can be said about The Empire Strikes Back, though, other than that he's probably the greatest sequel of all time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's in the top five. It's in that, the top five. That and Godfather Part 2, surely. Aliens. Oh. Terminator 2. We need to do an episode where it's just all about fantastic sequels. I think I think we should one day. So but yeah, Aliens, Terminator 2, Godfather 2. Um, I would like to go to Secret Cinema when we have a Nicolas Cage or maybe just Conair. Just Conair <sighs> experience. Oh my God. They oh. probably put you on a plane and oh. chain you to the seat and make you watch You could Conair. probably get Danny Trejo actually there as well. <laughs> I'd, I'd yeah, I, I don't imagine that'd be too difficult. Danny Trejo probably would willingly chain himself up in a cage Absolutely, and, and yeah. allow you to put Con Air on, I think. Number six. Okay, moving down to number six, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Awesome, isn't it? Fantastic. It really is. Yeah. Um, all practical effects, all fury, all fun. What's not to love Charlize Theron? What a goddess in this movie. Yeah. She's she's so good in it. She's absolutely incredible. I, did, yeah. I didn't know. I mean, when those reviews started coming out for Mad Max, because I think the international reviews came about a week before. A we week got before, it. yeah. And I think we were all somewhat taken aback by the reviews. I think really? it all made that us a little was... bit more kind of like excited for it. Well, I don't know if anything. I was kind of more confused, going like, "Really? Is that?" Because I, th- I thought this was a chase movie, but now this is a, the girls' movie. And, well, it was. It and was... then you go in, and it's all of those. It's all of those things. Yeah. It is the female empowerment movie, and a car chase movie, mm. and a post-apocalyptic no, tribal it's, it's warfare movie. Fiery and grotesque, and yeah, and, just and, deliriously and fun. The, and it's got the duffer in it, and and what's not? <laughs> oh, do for you. Is it doofer? Uh, I thought I thought it was uh, doof. Oof. Let's go with the doof, doof or doof. Do, doof this warrior. is the guitar playing guy, yeah. who flamethrower rides, guitarist, flamethrower yeah. guitarist riding a vehicle made of amps and speakers. Yeah. So I mean, really, in that world, it completely makes sense because uh, George Miller's reason for it is when people George go Romero, to battle. George Miller. What did I say? <laughs> You're George Romero. <laughs> George Miller. I didn't mean to say George. George Romero is Mad Max. Oh, is something I'd love to see. That would be the next one. That'd be the next Get one. Get him involved as a producer. Ooh, crossover. Something. But anyway, George, George meets George. Oh. 
Mad Max of the Dead. Let's do it. Oh, oh man. Somebody, somebody on YouTube, please make that. Someone, mash do up. this mashup. Yeah, please do. Uh, yeah, George Miller, he said that um, his reason for it, you would have like like people like battle drums and stuff. Well, like exactly. Yeah, yeah, war. It yeah, makes yeah, complete so. sense in that context. Yeah, all right. It's excellent. Number five. Non-mover. Uh, number five, Pitch Perfect 2. You weren't a fan, were you? I wasn't a fan. No, I wasn't a fan I either. Know. I like the first one. The second one just is no. It has nowhere near the heart, nowhere near the wit, nowhere near the humour. And yet we've got a third one to come. God help Because it's done brilliant business. Apparently it's done really well. So you know what? Get your sequel, but please make a bit more effort with the third one. Number four. Insidious Chapter 3 is uh, moving down to number four. Well, I liked it. I thought it was a, you know, a decent standalone little <clears throat> supernatural chiller. Not too high concept, not too small concept. It, it, you know, it, it is a haunted apartment style thriller. Yeah, you know, horror thriller. I liked it. I think Lee Winnell's uh, directorial work on it is actually far more impressive than you'd you'd expect of him. Mm. Although he has spent enough time in this genre to really make a good go, I think by now, because mm. he's been in the horror genre for what fifteen years. Yeah, and he's been in every one of his films. He has been in everyone, but I mean, it's been over. It's been between ten and fifteen years. He's been in the horror genre. So, oh yeah, you'd, his directorial debut, in fact, is overdue. If anything else, mm. it's pretty solid. Number three. <laughs> oh, you love this one. <laughs> San Andreas. <laughs> so, who are we going to call? Everybody. <laughs> but now what will we do? We must rebuild. <laughs> it is great, isn't it? I think um, every movie should Amer- American flags. American flags, we must rebuild. <laughs> and it's not really funny because you can't know that that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, just leave leave your brains it at is, home, people. <laughs> it's one of those movies, you, you, it's a movie that you actually watch and you think, do you know what, I can't wait for the Honest trailer for that one. <laughs> yeah, it, I was having a conversation with someone yeah. saying that, actually. It, it is that kind of film where you think, God, the, the Honest trailer for this is going to be fantastic. Yeah, but those um, guys are big friends with Rock, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. well, there's a lot of stuff for screen jerkies. But, uh, no, uh, I like Sal Andreas quite. It's a good, fun, old-school disaster movie, yeah. you know? It, it's one of those just load up on popcorn get the two for one hot dogs <laughs> have a great time yeah just go, go in with the biggest frappuccino you can carry yeah and just and just chill just chill they got this okay they got this <laughs> just just lay back in your seat switch off they got this they cover. got this, they got yeah. this. <laughs> rocks got this number two Moving down uh, from number one to number two, we have uh, Melissa McCarthy film Spy, which I, I liked. I know you you I you liked, liked it. it, but you didn't love it. I wasn't in love with it. Uh, Statham was great. Uh, Peter Safran was definitely one of the weakest links of that particular film. I think it's hard to disagree with that. Yeah. Um, and it is a shame because Peter Safran seems to keep doing this now, which is getting a bit annoying. Like Guardians, well, just pop up in a small capacity. Yeah, and... It was it was it was kind of hammy in Guardians of the Galaxy, and he only had about four lines in that. <laughs> Yeah, despite being Nova Prime. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly. Well, well no, he, wasn't, he wasn't Nova Prime. He was Nova Prime, was... sort of head, sort of head guard. Yeah, he? but uh, no, I liked it. I thought Jason Statham is fantastic in it. It's hard, hard not to agree with that one. I like Paul Feig writing. Uh, mm. Miss McCarthy, very funny. Yeah. Number one. And straight in with a T Rex, <laughs> number one, uh, Jurassic World. <laughs> how can you how can, how can you disparage Jurassic World? I I think it is. We said it was the first truly great Jurassic Park sequel. Yeah, um, I I loved it. I thought it was terrific. It's so much fun, and it mm. is. It does take you back to that sort of romping adventure survival thing of the first movie. Yeah. And, uh, it's as good as we're going to get for a Jurassic Park sequel, I think. I, I think so. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's the greatest movie ever, and there are people who are doing that very oh, fashionable people hate it. thing. Some people really are just like, oh, it's, not, oh, it's nothing mm, like Jurassic it's, Park. It's, it's, and it's, 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 oh, it's so bad. Oh, it's, you're like, oh, shut up. 
you know, it's, it's not meant to be Citizen Kane, and it's not meant to be the original. It's it's mm. a follow-on to the original. It's a reboot. You know, it's yeah. not ever good. Nothing was trying to I replace the original. I could pick flaws in it all day. You could, you could, you could pick. I holes. would rather just think, oh wow, I had a great time. <laughs> I would rather just have fun with it and yeah. try not to focus on you know Vincent D'Onofrio and his hey, I want to, hey, how you doing? I'm Vince. I want to militarize Raptors. Yeah. You want a coffee? No, I want to militarize Raptors. You know, I'd rather you know you can pick things like that yeah. to pieces. But you know what? It's a Jurassic Park. It was the first truly great one. First truly Let great it one. be. Yeah. Sit there, enjoy it, see it on the biggest screen imaginable, the end. Mm. So. Well said. So, on to our uh, final review of the week then. Moving on, the, uh, the Longest Ride. The Longest Ride. So, the latest from, well, from a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. And uh, did you know this is uh, based on his 17th romance novel? His seven, I didn't 17th know about guess. It. In fact, the less I know about him, the better, really. Yeah, his 17th. Wow. Um, yeah. Does it differentiate from his natural pattern? <laughs> right. When you, when you, uh, when you hear the the concept for this one, you just you, just write a sci-fi novel or something. Just do something out of the box. Right. This is the story of a mismatched couple. She's a spunky college girl yeah. uh, from New Jersey, living in North Carolina. Okay, fair enough. He is a rodeo bull rider in North Carolina. <laughs> They become a couple on their uh, on one of their dates. They happen upon a car crashed at the side of the road in the rain, from which they rescue an injured Alan Alder, and uh, right. and with and with him a box full of letters, which he's now too blind to read. Um, he of course uh, gets uh, the young uh, young lady of the couple, played by Britt Robertson, the guy being played by Scott Eastwood. I say that again, Scott Eastwood. Mm. Um, he gets Britt Robertson to read the letters to him, through which. He relives um, his own relationship with um, the love of his life back in World War II era hmm. North Carolina when he is played by Jack Houston and she is played by Una Chaplin. Here is a clip. Right, the goal is pretty simple. All you gotta do is hang on for eight seconds. Wow, there's nothing to it. Some bowls are nice like that. <laughs> So how do you know which one you're going to get? You don't. You pick from a bowl. Drop balance even a little, you lose points. But if you control the bowl, you get style points. Is that how you do the hand? That? So Scott Eastwood and Britt Robertson there in what can only be described as a how-to-do bull riding montage. So <laughs> There's not enough of those. There films. are not enough of those. It's not a montage you see no. an awful lot of. So on the one hand, you have uh, bull riding, yeah. you have World War II, you have mismatched couple, you have North Carolina flannel shirts and lakes. Um, got yeah, our lakes. It, it's got to the stage now where um, the concept for these for these Nicholas Sparks adaptations seems to be created entirely by throwing randomly chucking darts at a, <laughs> at a wall full of post-it notes, each of which contains a different random concept or idea. Mm. And and this is this is that. I mean, the funniest thing about it though is that it's not the worst Nicholas Sparks adaptation. In fact, it's one of the best. 
This is I would place as the second best below the notebook because actually it's kind of decently engaging based entirely on how good the cast are. Alan Alda's terrific in this. Well, in, in that he's way great. That, yeah. Alan Alda's. Yeah. It's an Alan Alda performance. And I really like Britt Robertson. Britt Robertson, yeah. I quite like. She's not doing uh, Girl Next Door. She's doing Spiffy Girl from Down the Street. Oh, okay. Which is uh, nice. Quite the range. Yeah. It's a bit more range. Scott Eastwood is the most likable lead that one of these movies has had ah. since Gosling. I mean, that, that, that's the best thing I can say about it. Um, what else has he been in apart from being Clint Eastwood's son? He briefly appears. I know he's going to be Suicide Squad. But... He briefly appears in Gran Torino. There's something else recently as well. I'm, I'm not sure. I have to look that one up. But he's really good. He has all this sort of square-jawed, all-American charm. He's like a federally approved Hemsworth. <laughs> if you can imagine such a thing. Put it this way, he could not be any more of a sort of American, iconic American movie hunk if he actually took his flannel shirt off and had Made in the USA branded on his torso. There's a, a flag tattooed yeah. on his chest. He's got, he's got a flag with an eagle, you know, tattooed <laughs> across his forearm. Bruce and... Springsteen with a machine gun. Yeah, but, born, yeah. born in the USA. Mm. That kind of... But you know what, he's fine for it. Um, on the negative side, George Tillman Jr., who directed Notorious and faster with uh, Dwayne okay, Johnson. Yeah. Um, he seems to be on TV movie mode here. It's yeah. very high-definition filming, but in soft focus. There we go, yeah. Which yeah. always looks weird. His, some of the early scenes set in the past, he's gone for this weird, patronising, sepia tone look, <laughs> which you're thinking, oh, because we wouldn't have oh, known yeah. it was set in the past otherwise. Yeah, it, thanks, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, the shorthand for, this is in the past, FYI. Really? Hmm. Not the fact that you're narrating it, telling us a story that isn't taking place. Never mind, okay. <laughs> Um, the problem with it is, you've got the World War Two. Well, not the World War Two. So you've got the story of the young Alan Alda character, the Jack Houston character. You've got mm. that relationship, and then you've got the present day relationship, both of which are fully fledged and perfectly fine movies in their own right. But they lead to this two hour long film, which just feels long and overbloated and a bit too yeah laborious. Yeah. That's the term to use. Um, aside from that, it's not hard to enjoy it. To be honest, you're not going to come out of it thinking, "Oh, it's brilliant." But you know what? You'll come out of it thinking it's perfectly fine. You might feel slightly shallower about yourself for doing so, <laughs> but um, but you know it sounds what? Sounds like a very likable cast, right? But that's it. It's the cast, yeah. and the cast make up for this weird, mystifying mishmash of completely disparate elements that mm. are going on within it. Um, Say, so cast are all superb. There have been, and there will continue to be, worse romance tales out in theaters this year. Probably connected to Nicholas Sparks. Probably connected to Nicholas. But, you know what, in this particular case, if you absolutely must have one of these sloshy romance tales, why not just take Nicholas Sparks? Yeah. You know what, fine. Okay. So, film of the week. I think this week, I'm going to give it to Mr. Holmes. Yeah, I thought film. you were going to. I mean, it's, it's kind of an not easy a lot of competition. It's <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a low week. Next week, though. Ooh. It, yeah, I mean, I've got high hopes for next week. Half of these we're not going to get released. Well, we are anyway. So um, let's have a look at what's actually out next week. Mm. 51 Degrees North. That's a documentary. We've got Concrete Clouds. I know very little about that. We've got Everly, which is the Summer High action oh, yeah, film. Of course, yeah. We've got Everyone's Going to Die, which sounds like a very cheerful movie. Very cheerful. We've got Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of My Belief, which is a documentary about uh, having emerged from Scientology. We've got Hippocrates, I know nothing of that. Hustler's Convention, which I really hope is like uh, oh, is man. what it describes. Yeah. <laughs> the Keanu Reeves, uh, Eli Roth tale, Knock Knock, is out next week. Yeah. That could be quite good. It could be quite good, but it seems to have left the marketing very, very late. Like, we've only it's just released a poster. Like like a tra- day, I only yeah. saw the trailer like, last week. Yeah. I'm like, oh, strange, okay, that's yeah. kind of interesting. Which kind of looks like funny games for, or, or hard. Yeah. 
yeah. like candy. Oh, I really candy enjoy Funny Games. Yeah. Uh, Minions, of course, is out next week. We've got that to look forward to. And don't yeah. forget, go on our site, Minions Goals to give away. Mm. Uh, we've also got The Overnight. With yes. the, who is that? It's Adam Scott, isn't it? Uh, Adam Scott, uh, Taylor... Taylor Schilling Taylor from Schilling, Orange yeah. is the New Black. Jason Schwartzman. I'm going to be seeing it tomorrow. You are. We've got uh, She's Funny That Way with Jennifer Aniston and Owen Wilson. Yeah. Uh, Slow West with Michael Fassbender. Yeah, and, Mendelsohn, yeah. Yeah. We've got Station to Station. I know very little of that. We've got That Sugar Film, which I'm hoping we get to see, which is the documentary about sugar. It, is it just called that? It's called That Sugar Film. It's oh, right. a documentary about the purveyance of sugar in modern marketing. And we've got documentary The Wrecking Crew as well. So That's quite a lot of films. Yeah. Don't forget to check out the site for our competitions. Uh, more up-to-the-minute news, including the news we didn't get to on this show. So, uh, well, this has been a Candy Storff production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been uh, Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. See you then. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay, Boom! There you go.